This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. From hockey to wrestling, football to golf, no sport left unturned. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. Welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. This morning down at Liberty Village, we have uh, Lou Franceschetti in as our co-host today as Wally is in Florida. But Wally is on the line and we'll be doing a segment in this shortly. Hi, Lou. How are you doing? Morning, Naz. How are you? And uh, good riddance to Wally who's soaking in the sun in Florida. Are you hearing that, Wally? I guess Wally's not on the line yet. But uh, I'm sure, I'm sure you heard it from his uh, condo in Florida. <laughs> I understand. I understand he's having lunch with Dave Keon on Wednesday, Lou. So. Uh, yeah, he probably is. Uh, I talked to him a bit during the week, and uh, he did say he's going to get together with Davey. And I'm not sure if they're actually even going to get on a golf course and spend a few hours uh, out there. Can I, can I get a word in edgewise? Oh, Wally's back. Let me get a word in edgewise. Hopefully, I may have a little problem with the connection. See if I can fix it, Lou. Uh, First of all, thanks for keeping my seat warm. Uh, don't get too comfortable. Well, that's the and only anyways, thing I'm keeping uh, warm is your feet, not your rear end. <laughs> These guys thanks, are going to go at it already. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting ready. But, uh, I'm getting ready for the Republican primary down here on uh, Tuesday night. I'm going to see if I can go vote. All kidding aside, but uh, uh, big things in the world of sports, uh, Naz, uh, Leafs, uh, Brampton Beast. What's uh, where do you want to take it? Uh, we're going to start. Where, where we're going to, Wally. We're going to start with Goose Gossage. Louis, what's your feeling on the goose coming out uh, this week? I love him. I just sent a nice big bottle of Dom Perignon after the comments he made on uh, on behalf of Mr. Batista. And I look at probably ninety percent of the stuff that he said is 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 you couldn't be more true and more on uh, regarding the game of baseball. Uh, unfortunately, uh, here in the city. Uh, the people that get paid by the Blue Jays are always going to back Batista up right to the wall, and it's just one of those things that uh, sometimes you really have to look at yourself in the mirror and, and find out that uh, most of the stuff is really happening. The, this game has gone to uh, to a situation oh. where everybody's playing for the back of the jersey instead of the front of the jersey. Give me, uh, Lou, uh, uh, you know, I, I tend to agree with some, you know, unfortunately it was the manner in which... Uh, you know, in which Goose, uh, he, I guess he let uh, he let the better uh, he let his emotions get a little bit in the way of his delivery. Uh, obviously, he uh, he let he let too many, uh, as they used to call in the Richard Nixon days, too many expletives uh, out, and that wasn't probably the proper way of making his point. Uh, but some of the points he made, uh, I, I sort of I, I sort of agree with him. I think his two big points were. The um, the way modern baseball players, and I, th- I think he's making the point not only modern baseball players, but the way modern athletes carry themselves leaves a little bit to be desired. Certainly, uh, you know, the, he felt that baseball players in his way respected the game, whatever that means. But uh, and uh, also, he was he's big. Uh, 
you know, this analytics thing that he, he, he you know, he, he, he's not a big fan of it. And, he, you know, he says it's a bunch of nonsense. And, uh, and you know, you know, a general manager should be able to identify talent without looking at an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, but, Lou, uh, you know, you're an athlete uh, and a good athlete, uh, NHL player for a significant career. Uh, what were the expectations on you when you were an NHL player in terms of your behavior and uh, and how you think that's changed over the years? How are the modern athletes, the NHL players of today, different from the NHL players of your day? Curious to get your take on it. Well, there, there's a few things. Uh, obviously, uh, the money and the media coverage has a lot to do with it. Uh, when we played, it was more or less don't embarrass the hockey club at, at all costs. I remember um, it was a game and uh, Jeff Cortnell scored a goal. Uh, I'm not sure if it was a big goal uh, at the time, but he he pulled the old uh, hoopla that uh, that they do after every goal now right in front of uh, the opposition bench. And uh, at the end of the period, I more or less went up to Jeff and I said, Jeff, you can't do that at that time of the game, especially in front of their bench, because I'm going to have to clean up your mess for you because they were they were going to come after him. And at that time, it was my job to not not as an enforcer, but more or less to, to do the dirty work, not for him, but for the hockey club. Uh, obviously, the respect factor that some of these players have nowadays for the game in general has a lot to do with the media coverage because of, uh, let's face it, um, they're seen for every good thing that they do. Uh, football players or defensive backs or linebackers right now are on uh, TV for highlights every single night that they put their, not their shoulder, but they put their head through a guy's uh, two eyes or, you know, you're yeah. supposed to tackle with your shoulders, but they go in head first wanting to knock the guy out because they know that they're going to be seen on uh, ESPN highlights. Uh, the Jays and like a lot of other teams after the first hit of the game, they go to second base and uh, Mr. Ryan Goins or uh, Jose Reyes do a little... In the circle, st- yeah. yeah, do the stir the pot yeah. type of thing. And we're talking about the first or second inning here. We're not talking about seventh or eighth inning when the game is really on the line. And I think that's the problem that I have right now is that everything starts at the beginning. It doesn't start at a crucial time of the game or to get something going. It's from the as soon as the, the puck is dropped, as soon as the first ball is pitched... Uh, imagine, while we grew up in the era with Don Drysdale, Sandy Koufax, Nolan Ryan, and Bob Gibson. What would those four pitchers have done if Batista would have done that to one of those guys? Oh, yeah. Answer, well, answer I, that, I, I, answer know, that I, question I to me. There's a big difference, for sure. But you know what? I agreed I with most of what Goose Gossage said. And uh, put uh, Toronto aside, if, if that was another city that that happened to, would they be on the, on the home team, on the visiting team side for doing that? Wally? Well, now you you raised you know what that's a very very good point and uh, you beat me to it. Um, is we 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 looked at Batista from the angle of Toronto, you know, in that whole bat flip episode. I mean, we thought that was fantastic, right? Because it happened in that incredible game, and uh, some people say it's the greatest baseball game of all time. But you know, we weren't so upset about it in Toronto because you know. Because he's our guy. That's right. But my guess is, and Naz and Lou, you may want to comment on this. When you go around Major League Baseball, uh, my guess is a lot of people weren't very happy about that. Um, 
And in Toronto, you know, and Batista's, you know, you haven't been a big fan, Lou. We've talked about him on the show a few times with you. you you're not a big Bautista fan. And is, and is that because of the way he carries himself? Is that, is that what irritates you, Lou? I, I think it is. It's, it's the way he carries the name of Batista instead of the, the name of the Toronto Blue Jays. You look at ever since the first year that he's come here, it's all, it's all been about him. Every third call strike that's happened to him, it's close. He pulls a more or less a, a drama queen type act, thinking that it should have been a ball instead of just taking it like a man and going to the bench. He's actually put his team in, in certain, certain circumstances where the umpire has kicked him out of the game because he's argued a little bit too much because there's a no tolerance thing. And when you start putting the, the name of, the, of yourself in front of the name of the Blue Jays, uh, I have a really tough time because obviously I didn't have the talent that Batista did and everything that I did was on a team basis, but I never put my team in jeopardy for them to lose a game by getting kicked out of the game or doing really something stupid like that. Yeah, you brought up a good point. It's the talent level of Batista. That's the question here. If, if, it was, if he didn't have the talent of Batista, he wouldn't be a Blue Jay. And uh, but Batista is so talented, and he deserves what he gets, right? I, I know it's a team game and everything, but individual talents in baseball is very important. It, it is, but where was Batista before he came here? Like everything that Batista's done, he's done in Toronto because they've yeah, given because him. Because there's one guy that turned him around. People don't realize that uh, the uh, Cito Gaston turned him around as a bit when he was the Blue Jay batting coach when he came back. Cito Gaston should be given the credit for Batista turning around, or else he would have been gone long ago. Yeah, and now now yeah, he comes back. Go ahead, Wally. But Lou, Lou, you have to admit that you know. I mean, you you, you make the point. Where was Batista when he's came, when he came here? I think it was, it was Naz. Correct me if I'm wrong. You you know you know this stuff uh, probably a little bit better now. He was he came from Pittsburgh, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, he came from the. Yeah, and he was a third he baseman. The Pirates, and he went, But you know, let's let's give the, let's give Batista credit. Since he's been in Toronto, he's done everything you could as a baseball player. Everything you could possibly have expected a baseball player to do, uh, and more. Uh, he's probably been underpaid in the context of what uh, Major League Baseball stars make nowadays. Um, and you know he, he's produced every single year, Lou. You got you know you can't take that away from him. Um, and uh, you know he's been one of the top players in baseball uh, in the last five years. I, I don't think you can argue with that. Uh, if you want to make the argument, be be my guest. But you know he, he's had a tremendous run and. Um, you know, he, he, he's taken he's taken some criticism outside of Toronto, uh, more so than I guess in Toronto, uh, for some of uh, some of his behavior. Uh, I don't think you know the the bat throwing incident being the most overt example of it. But even that bat flip that bat flip incident. Let's go back to it, Lou. Uh, I know I know that sort of rubbed you the wrong way. I mean, when it happened in the moment, I mean, wasn't it just? Is that a reflection of his baseball character? I just thought it was just a guy in the moment uh, just losing a little bit control of his emotions, and that's what sports is all about, isn't it, Lou? It, it really is, Wally, and I'm not questioning uh, Batista's talent. I'm not questioning what he's done in the last four years. I'm not questioning the dollar value that he's that he's asking for. Uh, what I question, I was at a... Well, I'm questioning the dollar value. Uh, I, I was at a, a, a card signing... Uh, yesterday for a couple hours, AJ Sports up in uh, up in Vaughn. Your buddy and, swung. And what they told me about Jose because you still I let, want your autograph, I, Lou? 
Yeah, they sold it for, <laughs> a, I think, a nickel. Um, <laughs> okay. But they, I brought up the, I saw a couple of pictures of Batista, and I says, can I please get, you know, what, uh, so I can put it through his, between his eyes. But anyways, they even noticed themselves that since Batista has gotten here, his attitude and his personality has changed. I'm not sure if it's 360 degrees or 720 degrees. It's got it's that bad because now it's the demands on on him like he wants everything not like he did when he first came here because of the hero that he is or the superstar that he has turned into. It's like it's very very hard to deal with him. Uh he won't sign anything more than he's supposed to. He he's a complete jerk. His attitude is just completely off the wall. And they won't deal with him again. So that's the problem that I have uh, with uh, a person of that nature. You look at Mike Trout. You hear stories about Mike Trout that I sat down with yesterday. Again, the things that he he would do. Uh, he signed an exclusive deal with Major League Baseball for a three-year deal that anything um, that he signed would go to the Major League Baseball. After the three-year deal, they were scared that because of his popularity and his status in the game of baseball – that they were there was no way that they could re-sign him because he was going to ask for an astronomical uh, amount of money. He went back to them and said, guys, listen, just give me the same kind of money because this is for the players that were before us. There was players, he actually uh, recognized that there were players that set the path for him to do what he's doing. Batista, there's no way that Batista would ever do that. Well, we're not sure about. Well, that. you know, I'm telling you, he wouldn't. You, you you can make that criticism. I mean, that's and you mean sometimes it goes back to it's and it's a function of a lot of things, Lou. Um, I mean, it's modern athletes. Um, they're not all the same. Uh, some of them are. You know, some of them some of them deal with the demands, uh, the social demands that are put on them in better ways than other people do. And you know what? They have they have their good. I mean, I'm not I'm not I'm not going to be a Bautista apologist, but um, you know these. Uh, you know, uh, an athlete at his level has such incredible demands uh, from from all kinds of different, uh, getting pulled in nine million different directions. Um, you know, sometimes they just have off days. I mean, sometimes you know their their personalities. Uh, you know, some some of them have better personalities than others. That that's just the blunt reality of human nature, is it not, Lou? It, it really is, and, and it's unfortunate that a few guys have to wreck it for for everybody else. Be a, well, I, I don't. I think that's a bit strong. I mean, I don't think a few guys wreck it for for everybody else. I mean, uh, it is what it is. There there's some athletes that you know deserve to be you know idolized and 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 be heroes to people and you know and you know we've we've met a few of them in the studio Lou like you know classy gentlemen like Dave Keon and Daryl Sittler and some of the other guys that you know and still hang around with and there's baseball players amongst that too uh you know um how's he uh, Batista has his critics and maybe for good reason maybe for 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 not so good reason, but let's talk about whether Bautista is coming back to Toronto. I don't think he uh, is. That's a story that isn't going, or whether he should come back to Toronto. All of a that's sudden, a he's that... negotiating, Wally. He's negotiating his contract. He oh, said yeah. there's no negotiations, and a report came out this week that uh, they're in negotiations. So don't take that well, uh, five-year, $150 million. You know what? Like, like, like sometimes what, you know, what professional athletes say or their agents say like I, I'm wondering why we even take it seriously. I mean, you know, we don't take politicians seriously anymore. So, you know, why should we take 
the, 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 the posturings of athletes seriously. They're, it's a negotiation, right? And uh, they're going to say whatever they think they're going to say that gives them leverage or gives them advantage. Well, and, I, I really think Batista's I, 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 backtracking. I original statement that he wasn't going to negotiate wasn't going to negotiate. I thought that was just preposterous. Of course he's going to negotiate. He started the negotiations by saying five years, $30 million. He started the, the negotiation, and is, that's when it started. Yeah, I mean, where, where, where's this number going to come in? Obviously, you know, Shapiro's, he, he, you know, he came in here with a lot of criticism, but so far, you know, he seems to, you know what, this guy's he's no dummy, okay? Um, you know, he knows his stuff. Um, we know that Batista's not going to sign here for thirty million bucks over five years. It's not going to happen. He's, he's thirty-six years old. He's on the downswing. So uh, I got to believe. I I think Batista wants to stay in Toronto, and he's he's negotiating the best possible deal uh, he can get. And where that number comes in, um, and what the term is, it's not going to be thirty. It's going to be twenty-five, and maybe a little bit south of twenty-five. Is it going to be five years? Maybe four. I don't know. What are your thoughts, guys? The smart thing for them to do is not to negotiate a contract until probably July to see where that team is going to be. Because if they if they don't get off to a good start or they're not in the hunt in July, what's the use of signing those two guys? they got to move them, Encarnacion and him, and they got to move them and get some talent for them for the following year. So the best thing the Jays could do is wait and see until July. Well, it, it's not going to be what the Jays are doing. It's going to it's going to be what Edwin and, and Jose are doing. I, because r- I've always said, I mean, I, I, listen, I, I I'm not a Batista fan, but he's a great ball player. Okay, this team right now, with as many holes as it has, will be a better team if they deal Jose to another team and fill in the the gaps that they have. Edwin, I think, can stay as a DH for anywhere from eighteen to twenty-two million on a, on a two or three-year deal. And I think that's all he's looking for. Jose, if if he comes in, even if he asks for a three-year deal for anywhere from twenty-two to twenty-seven million dollars, I think he's going to be worth that kind of money, and he's going to shut everybody up if he comes back with the same kind of year as he had last year and and, and previous to that. But at a five-year deal at that kind of money, uh, he, he's not in the class of uh, of Mike Trout yet. We're going to have well, time. At the bottom of the hour, we're going to have John Murphy, the voice of the Buffalo Bills. We're going to talk about uh, the NFL and uh, free agents that have signed with the Bills and who they've lost. But we want to talk. About, I want to bring that subject up. Uh, Peyton Manning retired this week, and so did Megatron. Is this uh, Peyton Manning was an older player, but Megatron was still in the prime of his career. What's happening there? A lot of these guys are retiring now. No. Uh, I think the the science. I, I think. Uh, what they're doing is they're looking at how many players are getting injured, uh, how many players uh, previous to them are are being crippled. Um, they say that football players five or ten years or a little bit longer than that after or be- even before the age of fifty are, are walking with canes, and they don't want to do that. They want to they want to enjoy their family life. They want to enjoy their kids. They want to be able to pick up their grandkids instead of of handling them from a chair and, and not being able to do things with them. And uh, they're starting to realize that. There's only so much money they can spend in a lifetime, and they don't need the, the extra ten to fifteen to twenty million dollars because they've invested their money properly, like they should have, and they want to they want to get out of the game in one piece and enjoy uh, the rest of their lives in uh, like a normal human being. Well, what do you think? Uh, you know, I, I I agree I agree with I I agree with Lou. I mean, in that sense, football 
you know, all, all sports, uh, you know, the only comparable one, I guess, to, to football is hockey. But football is in a class of its own. The statistics, the statistics of the life expectancy of football players, the amount, the, the, the ones that are going to suffer from, you know, uh, brain diseases, those statistics are staggering. Uh, I mean, you have a better chance if you're a football player um, to die from a brain disease than almost anybody else. And, you know, I, I think I think this is finally hitting home with, um, with the athletes. Um, you know, the athletes today are, have access to much, much more information than they had it that they've had in the past. All, all the, you know, we've got movies out, the movie concussions out, there's been the PBS special. I mean, these, these athletes now know what they're facing and they, and, and they, and they look around and they see what's happened to some of their, you know, some of their heroes from when they were younger, the junior sales, the Mike Webster's, you know, these athletes died like in, in horrible circumstances um, from the effects of, of, of playing football. And I, I have to agree with Lou, uh, you know, uh, you know, somebody's, you know, they're, you know, the athletes in their twenties, late twenties. And I think it's a great thing. I think it's a great thing. I mean, the classic example of an athlete retiring early was Barry Sanders. Yeah. I mean, when, when he retired, we were all shocked. He was in the prime of his career. Yeah, I think he was how 29 could, years could, old in the prime of his career. Yeah. That's right. He was in the prime of his career. How can we pine? I mean, I don't know the reasons, you know, going back why. I mean, the guy had made a lot of money, but, you know, like Lou says, I mean, we don't need any more. But I think this is a very positive step. I think, you know, I think athletes, especially football players, are looking at and looking at their lives in a long-term perspective, which hasn't, you know, athletes usually live day-to-day because it's so difficult to, to hold on to your job. As an athlete, you know, you know, sometimes you don't think 15, 20 years away. You're thinking about next week's paycheck. Well, I guess the athletes, some of these athletes are so well paid nowadays, maybe they can look long term and they don't have to worry about next week's paycheck and they can make a rational decision saying, you know what, I want to be around to enjoy my grandchildren. And I, you know, I, that's what this all has to be about. I think that's fantastic. I think it's a very positive step. And, uh, athletes who are concerned about their long-term health and are taking appropriate measures and, you know, giving up their careers and moving on to something else. Uh, I, I think it's positive. I think that's exactly what this is all about. Here's a, here's the thing we Louie and I were talking about. We're going to talk about the lease for, for the last couple of minutes here, but we're talking about the guys that have come up from the, the, the uh, Marley's and uh, we're in agreement. Uh, Louie and I, I, I'm, Nylander may be at the best, a second-line winger, and uh, the other guys are third- and fourth-liners. So what talent do we have in with the Marlies? Oh, hold on. I, I just want to uh, interrupt there. Uh, maybe Louis exercising too much influence on you, Naz. No, when, no, when I, did, no uh, I agree. I've been watching them for two or when three did, weeks when did, Nylanders, when did Nylander's uh, uh, prospects get limited to a second-line winger? When, when, when have we... When did you guys decide he's got no prospect of being a first-line winger? We said top six, Wally. Top six? Top six. He hasn't okay. proven himself yet. He's too small. Well, yeah, I, I, I'm, why, wait, hold on, hold on. Hold I'm not on. sure about Nylander being in a... Uh, in today's NHL, how can you possibly say he's too small with the Patrick Keynes and the Johnny Hockeys of the world 
setting the league on fire. Who's too small to play in the NHL nowadays? Well, okay, okay. Let, let, let's get back to this argument here, okay? What, what we said is this Leaf team, it seems like they keep on bringing up prospects from the minors. The, the prospects from the minors that they keep bringing up are strictly third and fourth line players. Needlander is the only top six forward that we see other than Mitch Marner that's in the system. We don't know where these guys are going. We don't know whether Cam Connor uh, or uh, Connor, the kid Connor from, from the Marlies, is a top six forward. Connor Brown. Connor Obviously, Brown. Connor Brown. Oh, sorry, Connor Brown. Obviously, they're looking at a possible of getting my, uh, Tuchuk, uh Laney. Uh, the other Finnish kid that I his name can't even or, pronounce, or Austin. Or, or Austin Matthews as a top oh, yeah. six forward. So yeah. th- that's what I'm trying to say. They're, that's why they're stockpiling all these draft picks. Is that they're hoping, you know, they've got they've got that's third right. and fourth liners. Wally, uh, that kid is not playing center. Nylander is not a center. He will not be playing center for any team. He's a winger. He's not yeah, responsible. I mean, he won't be. He, he can't build them into a center. After watching him for two or three weeks, I don't see it. Do you, Louie? He's not a centerman. Well, you know what? If you get Austin Matthews and Steve Stamkos, you that changes you things. Yes, don't, you don't need you don't need a center. Right? No, you you really don't. But then you got to look at uh, what kind of style of hockey player that he is. Does he need the puck? Does he feed off of uh, his wingers? Is he a centerman? Can he go in the corners to, to get pucks? I know there's a lot more responsibility. Uh, and while and and as I said, I think at the beginning, I'm not sure if he's that good defensively in a Mike Babcock system because I'm not. He doesn't know how to play all 200 uh, feet of the ice. Like you got to be very very responsible on the on the backside of the on the back check there. So he might be a winger well, you know to, to start off with, but eventually his creativity is going to put him at center. Now whether it's going to be. Uh, first or second line he's definitely not going to be a checking centerman i'll tell you that right now and he's definitely well, he, he really has a lot of upskill uh talent but time will tell guys we have to go to commercial we got john murphy coming up folks see you in a bit thanks are they ever wrong about sports i can answer that in two words impossible the naz and wally sports hour on zoomer radio Welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, where we have our co-host Luke Franceschetti, former relief in Buffalo Sabres, in studio in Washington Capitals. And on the line, John Murphy, play-by-play voice of the Buffalo Bills. Hi, John. How are you this morning? Good morning, guys. I'm well. How are you? Good, Real- good, good. Uh, not a busy week in the NFL. What was it? <laughs> There's a lot going on. Oh, my not God. Buffalo, but a lot going on everywhere else. It's incredible. Uh what free agents have the Bills lost, and who have they gained, and what's your uh, assessment of the whole th- week in the NFL? Well, they haven't gained anyone. They um, they made it pretty cl- uh, clear over the last few months that they, because of the salary cap situation, they would not be a player in free agency, and they were not at all. They uh, uh, Their goal was to keep as many of their own as they could, and their main focus was on keeping their offensive line intact. So. Uh, they had a couple of uh, unrestricted free agents who were scheduled to hit the market this past week, and they managed to keep them both in the fold. Uh, Cordy Glenn, their fine young left tackle, they put the franchise tag on him, and now they have until he's uh, signed with the Bills through the next season, but they have until July 15th to work on a longer-term deal with him. And their left guard, Richie Incognito, uh, whose contract was up, agreed to terms on a three-year contract this past week, so he's locked up for a while. So... Um, they they didn't have any they don't have any money left to go out and pursue on any of the the primary free agents. I think their plan is to let the dust settle a little bit, maybe a couple of weeks, maybe even a month or more, 
into free agency, see what's still left on the market, and see if there's anybody out there that interests them. They've lost some free agents, uh, most notably Mario Williams, the uh, defensive end who was uh, released. He wasn't really a free agent, but he was released a week before free agency, and he went to the Miami Dolphins. Um, they let uh, Nigel Bradham go, an unrestricted free agent. They just didn't have the money to keep him. A pretty good linebacker went to the Eagles. A cornerback, Leotis McKelvin, uh, was released, went to the Eagles. A backup corner and special teamer, Ron Brooks, uh, went to the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, they lost Chris Hogan, a wide receiver, who was uh, they had put a uh, a restricted free agency uh, uh, offer in for him, offer sheet, and the uh, New England Patriots decided to uh, make a better offer to Chris Hogan, so he's gone. So uh, it's been a net loss. I don't uh, I don't know if um, you know because of their cap constraints. I don't think they were poised to be a player at all in terms of obtaining talent. But I think uh, they're they're happy that they were able to keep. Uh, the key players that they wanted to keep going into this week. John, what I see in the draft in the past few years is there are a lot of free agents that end up on teams, and uh, the draft is very important, but the, the higher rounds, not the, the, the lower rounds, the lower rounds are very important. The high rounds, you know, it's obvious, but there's a lot of good players that come out of the draft that aren't even drafted. Is that true? Yeah, you mean undrafted guys, yeah, yeah. undrafted rookies. Yeah, most teams, uh, you know, pride themselves on doing a good job with that. They're only seven rounds in the draft. Um, for instance, this year the Bills have eight picks in the draft, and uh, they'll probably sign another at least four or five undrafted free agents. And, yeah, there are players. You get players out of the uh, undrafted pool, the rookie pool. That's why uh, they're so thorough. All teams are when it comes to scout, uh, you know, the college draft. And, and what teams have found in the salary cap era is that the best value is for the uh, the young players, the draft picks, but even, the, as you said, the undrafted uh uh, rookies who come in because you can pay them the rookie minimum or a little bit above the rookie minimum. Or in the case of the draft picks, there's a uh, you know a defined uh, payment that goes to each pick, um, you know non-negotiable essentially. You can pay them that, and you can have them under contract for four or sometimes five years under that salary, and and then you can kind of fill in with more expensive players, the veterans you want to keep, and any free agents you may want to go after. So that's where the real value is in the young players and. And the real good teams, the Steelers and, and the Green Bay Packers, uh, I, I think the Bills emulate them, as a matter of fact. But those good teams, their personnel plan is to draft really well, sign undrafted free agents, rookies as much as they can, and keep the good ones and not have to go out and spend wildly in free agency. John, um, I've noticed the last couple of years that the defense has really been the, the stalwart of this uh, of this football club. Last year, he took a couple of steps backwards. Uh, I'm not sure if it was actually Mario Williams' uh, fault uh, because of the scheme that uh, Rex Ryan put in. Um, why aren't they using Watkins a lot more than they like? You, you you trade up for the fourth pick overall at a Clemson, and this kid's a game breaker. And I've watched games, and they've complete. They don't even look at him. Is that the the offensive coordinator's uh, fault, or is it more or less just the whole scheme that uh, are they, is, are they double teaming him? Is he open? Uh, do they have no confidence in him? Obviously, before Tyro Taylor got there, uh, did the quarterback ever get a chance to throw him the ball? Well, I disagree that uh, they don't look at him because they do. Uh, Sammy had a pretty productive year last year, and he got better as the year went along. He went into the season with kind of a nagging hamstring pull that uh, limited him uh, this past season. And once he got healthy, he kind of he sort of came into his own. There were um, he you know didn't get a chance to work much with uh, 
last year's starting quarterback, Tyrod Taylor. Taylor did not win the job until uh, three preseason games in. Sammy was hurt early on. By the time they got going, uh, Watkins was very productive and did have developed some chemistry with uh, Tyrod Taylor. And in the season finale, he caught 11 passes and helped the Bills knock off the New York Jets in a game the Jets desperately needed. I think uh, that chemistry is going to be improved moving forward because Tyrod is the established starter now this year. I think um, the, the coaching staff last year was determined not to put too much pressure on uh, Tyrod Taylor, and so they kept things simple. And quite frankly, they're a team that wants to run the ball, and they will be again this year. They, they want to run the ball and, and play good defense and uh, complement their running game with, with the passing attack. So I think uh, Sammy Watkins has done pretty well. I think he'll do more as – as his career goes along, and I look for him to uh, really eventually he'll be the best receiver coming out of that uh, very talented receiver draft a couple of years ago. Where do, do the Bills have to improve, John? Well, they got to get better on defense, and they, they struggled with all the talent and money they had invested in their defense in 2015. They underperformed. They were the 19th-ranked defense. Uh, a lot of it has to do with scheme, and Rex Ryan has basically said, He's going to uh, double down on his scheme. He's going to play exactly what he wants. He's not going to try to um, incorporate elements of the defense they played the year before. And um, so that's number one. They've got to do a better job rushing the passer uh, and just playing overall better defense. I think offensively they need to uh, exploit what we just talked about a little bit more, the uh, the emergence of uh, Tyrod Taylor's game as a as a as a good NFL quarterback, he had a good year last year, 20 touchdowns, six interceptions, and uh, use Sammy Watkins more and continue to work him more. But, uh, you know, they had eight wins last year, they, um, a couple of close losses, and uh, I think they're on the cusp of playoff contention, but they've been talking about that for a while. They've got to follow through and, and uh, as I said, capitalize on the great talent they have on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, John, um, I've, been, I've been looking at more of the, uh, or some of the mock drafts that they've had uh up to now, and they've got uh, they got the two studs from Alabama uh, filling in there as their first draft pick. Where do you see them going, uh, Ashawn Robinson and Jaron Reed? Where do you see them going with that first pick overall, or not first pick overall, but their first round pick this year? I think they're going to go defense. I think either one of those guys would fit in. There are a couple of defensive linemen from Clemson is good as well. I think because of some of the losses they've had, I think. Um, they might be looking at a linebacker, and I, I know they like Alabama linebacker Reggie Ragland a lot. Uh, they've watched him play a couple of times since uh, you know, the season ended, watched him in the All-Star games, watched him work out. Um, it's a, a draft that is heavily uh, weighted toward the defensive side of the ball, a particular defensive line. And so at 19, you know, in the first round, the Bills should be able to get a really good defensive lineman. But I think they're also going to have their eyes open for linebackers who can step in and play as well. So I definitely think it's going to be a defensive player in the first round for Buffalo. Would they would they think of maybe trading down since there is such a load on 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 the defensive side this year, and maybe uh, grab some more picks? Yeah, that's always in play. Absolutely. Um, you know, they like to uh, move around in the draft. They have eight picks in the first six rounds this year. No pick in the seventh round. So. They have the ability to move around a little bit. They have kind of like working capital to move around. So, yeah, I think that's in play. I think they're going to – they feel good about uh, where they're at in terms of the draft and, and their position, and I think they feel like uh, if someone wants to make a deal, I'm sure they'll have their eyes wide open. John, we had uh, Peyton Manning retire this week, and you being the play-by-play guy, guy for the Bills, you've seen enough of Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. Choose one or the other. <laughs> I've seen a lot of Tom Brady because the Bills play them twice a year. Um, I, I, you know, I, Peyton Manning is great. 
first ballot, first year Hall of Famer, no question. Um, I think Peyton Manning, in his own way, sort of changed the game in terms of uh, what quarterbacks are able to do on the field and, and make changes and call plays at the line of scrimmage. And I think Peyton Manning, from watching him play and from talking to people who worked with him over the years, he had total command of what they were doing offensively. And, uh, that you know, I think he was the best at, in that department. But as far as passing, I, I'd go with Tom Brady. I think he's uh, – uh, and it's not just, you know, his arm. I think it's his uh, – he has a tremendous understanding of their offense too. But I think he has a quick decision-making capability and an ability to, to get the ball where he needs to get it, more so than Manning, especially in recent years when Manning's talents faded off. And, you know, Brady has the championships uh, to – to go along with all that talent. It's a close call, but if I had to choose one or the other, I'd choose Tom Brady. Now, we were having this discussion in, in, earlier today about uh, players retiring early. Megatron, as far as I'm concerned, is retiring at the prime of his career. Do you find more and more players are doing that, and why? Yeah, I mean, it's something to keep an eye on when you see uh, you know, some of the retirements even going into this past year. You know, Some of the younger guys, the linebacker out in San Francisco, a couple of others. I think a lot of it, you know, has to do quite frankly with the uh, post-career health. You know, a lot of people are concerned about their health, whether it's uh, uh, head injuries or, you know, hip injuries, being able to walk. Um, the money is, is pretty fantastic in the NFL. And I think some people, some guys just look out and say, I, I've made a lot of money. I don't know that um, X amount of more money is going to make a difference for me. So I'd rather get out with my, uh, you know, my head intact and my, uh, my uh, body in good shape and take the money and run. And, and I understand that it's a option they all have. It's difficult when a, when a major talent like, uh, like uh, Calvin Johnson leaves in what we all consider to be early, but um, it's been done before. I mean, Barry Sanders many years ago walked away from the game really at the peak of his uh, career. So it's difficult to see, but it, I think it's a very personal decision that they make and uh, they sacrifice a lot in terms of their body and their health to, to stay in the league for a long time. John, is there any plans on building a new Rich Stadium? And uh, from what I, from the people that I've talked to down there, because I did play for the Sabers once in a once upon a time, uh, are they thinking of putting it near the water? Uh, because of the, it's more or less it's the place to be nowadays. Well, there are no plans. There's nothing on paper. There's nothing in the works. I think many of us believe that that's eventually where it'll go. Uh, the current stadium, uh, Ralph Wilson Stadium, out in Orchard Park, is in is in really good shape, especially for a 43-year-old building that's been uh, rebuilt and refurbished several times, including a couple of years ago. And it's a great place to watch a game. It's, um, you know, great sight lines, and it's affordable for most fans. But most most people believe that eventually there's, you know, going to be a stadium downtown Buffalo area, somewhere around First Niagara Center area. Um, there's nothing in the works now or no plan now. And the good news is the Bills have a, have, uh, a long you know, I think seven years left on the lease at Ralph Wilson Stadium, so they're not going to rush in or have to rush into any kind of decision on the stadium. And maybe the stadium in Orchard Park is the best uh, alternative. It's 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 definitely an old school stadium in terms of uh, amenities. You know, you get some of these new stadiums now. I was just thinking I was at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis a couple of weeks ago for the combine and walking around and looking at uh, you know just the different setup and and really the different. I mean, let's face it, it's all about making money, and there's so many more opportunities to, to make money in these new stadiums in terms of clubs and uh, special seating and, and restaurants and, and that sort of thing, and that just doesn't exist at Ralph Wilson Stadium. It's a, sort of a bare-bones, uh, football-oriented stadium. It's not really an entertainment center. 
Uh, huh. When they build this new stadium in Los Angeles, it's going to be unbelievable the opportunities they have to to make more money and to and to sort of diversify. But that won't exist at Ralph Wilson Stadium. So. Um, no, there are no plans now. I think most of us believe that sometime in the future there will be a downtown stadium, but there's nothing on the drawing board just yet. Uh, you said something about the, the combine. I was watching that uh, myself the last couple of weeks uh, because of uh, I'm a big Alabama fan. i just watching those four kids that they had with five guys that they had down there. How good is the talent down there when you go down to the combines? Like these guys running 40s. Four threes, four fours, and I'm, we're talking even line linebackers, which you guys are, are in dire need of. Uh, there are six two, six three, about two thirty five, two forty. Yeah, the talent is is amazing, and and the thing about the combine, it's sort of evolved over the last twenty years or so. It's a it's a um, as far as the on field portion, the stuff that you see, it's it's track meet that those athletes, football players in the fall. As soon as their season is over, they trained to to run those events, you know, to run the forty, and to uh, to jump high and to do the three cone drill and that sort of thing. So it's not really a football exhibition as much as it is an athletic exhibition, and and that's what teams use it for. You know, the, most teams know that uh, they're measuring football players doing non-specific football drills. If you ask NFL teams, the important part to them for the combine are one, the medical exams. Each of the 330 or so players goes through a, a thorough and exhaustive physical exam, and they check out old injuries and, and test them for a variety of things. Uh, so that's important. I think they view the nighttime interviews, the one-on-one interviews they have with each of the prospects, as an important piece of the combine. And many talent evaluators will tell you the on-field portion is, is the least important part of the combine in terms of, uh, I mean, they weigh them and measure them and uh, count the bench reps, you know, the, the how many times they bench press, how many reps they can do. But they'll tell you the most important thing is the physical evaluation, the the medical exams, and the, you know, the weighing and measuring, and they sort of have a database to work from. Because all of those players, all 330 of those players have been scouted before. It's not like this is their first exposure to them. They're, you know, they're going to their college games, and most of the time they're aware of what they do in college and go to their practices. And I mean, it's a whole industry of NFL scouting that goes on. So the combine is is sort of one of the end pieces to all the evaluation that goes on during the course of a year. John, I have to ask you a Sabres question. We're going to just turn it a bit here. Uh, your impression of the first year of Jack Eichel? Well, it's good. I, or, I haven't seen it yet, but I heard he scored a spectacular overtime game winner yesterday. Uh, yeah, I think awesome. he's really good. Yeah, yeah i I got to find some highlights of that. But, yeah, he's absolutely what they were looking for. He's, uh, he's the real deal, and I think – you know, they viewed him as a piece they could build around for, for years to come, and I think they've got him. And now they have to fill in the rest of the roster because they're still struggling to win games. John, thanks for this morning. You're always, as always, a great job. Thank you, fellas. Good talking with you. Thanks, John. We'll be Bye-bye. right back after commercials. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Argue sports. They just explain while they're always correct. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We're going to go with the last six minutes. My producer is saying we only got six minutes left. We have Wally back on the line. Wally, what do you think of the Murph interview? Uh, it was very well done. Um, uh, I enjoyed it. Um, you know, uh, some interesting comments about the Bills and a good question, Lou, on Sammy Watkins. Uh, you know, they got to figure out a way to get him into the offense. So, um, you know, I, I guess he's, he agreed with us again on why these uh, 
players are retiring from health issues. But we've had John Murphy on the show before. You know, he's a very astute guy from Buffalo, the number one uh, the number one uh, sports talk guy in Buffalo. So it's always a pleasure to listen to uh, to his insight. You like how Louie brought up the five Alabama out. players, eh? Yeah, well, I noticed Lou got an opportunity to get an Alabama plug-in. So uh, uh, right now I, I don't have the opportunity to get a Notre Dame plug-in. So at some point in time, uh, hopefully we can Maybe in that. 20 years uh, you'll be able to get that plug-in. Hey, uh, yeah. you Alabama. Yeah. Wally, they got, uh, they, they, they've got a couple of kids that uh, that tackle looks like he's going to go in the top five picks, and they got the the linebacker that might go in the top ten. So good well, uh, good job there. Hunter Dave's got a few guys that are going to go overall. But I want to get a point in this that we talked about on the show. We talked about it twice. We talked about it with Kerry Fraser, and we talked about it with uh, Stephen Greigel, the uh, the attorney for Dennis the NHL uh, player. Dennis Wyman, Batman botched, the NHL completely botched this entire process. I said it on the air, I don't know how many weeks back, I said the proper penalty was 10 games. That's what he should have got. Kerry Fraser agreed with us. Batman gave him 20 games. They blew it. The NHL blew it completely. Their process is completely and utterly preposterous. Please, you know, forgive me that I'm getting a little bit animated about this. Come on, how can, Goose. How can, you go, how can you go get an arbitrator reversing a ruling that says he's only getting 10 games when he already sat out 19 games? It's, it's absolutely ludicrous. Okay? And, you know, reasonable people can disagree. Reasonable people can disagree on the length of the suspension. You can agree, you know, Kerry Fraser and I thought it should have been 10 to 15. Batman, who was obviously, you know, biased in, in, in his ruling, Gave it 20. But the poor Weidman in the Calgary Flames, this guy sat out 19 games, ended up with a 10-game suspension. How yeah, the, the hell does that the, make any sense? The linesman has sat out more than that now. You know, like, well, you he, know, was, he was protecting the, line, the referees there. But under the terms of the NHL rule, under the collective bargaining agreement, that was a 10-game suspension in terms of in terms of how it was interpreted. We can We can argue all we want in terms of you know, and, and I, I have no, I have no doubts, and I have no, uh, I, I don't get, I know, I'm not on the side that anybody should take a shot at an official, but the rules deal with it, and you know, an arbitrator is a very competent arbitrator who's done lots of sports arbitrations before, came back at ten games. How, how do you give, how do you give the Calgary Flames and Den, Dennis Weidman these nine games back? Well, he got his money I mean, back, it, which I think he's happy with. Right? Well, he I got, mean, he got his three hundred grand back. Let's assume this happens to the Toronto Maple Leafs in the middle of a in the middle of a playoff drive next year. We have Steve Stamkos, and he gets he gets a, a twenty game suspension from the NHL that the arbitrator later turns out reduces it to ten, and Stamkos loses nine games and uh, for no reason, and the Leafs make the playoffs. The process is ridiculous. Well, Wally, we got to look either, at uh, we got to look at what Calgary's done too now. Uh, this hurts Calgary as much as it does Toronto or any other team. Because they were, they wanted to trade Dennis Weidman at the trade deadline. If you look back, nine games runs you roughly at the beginning of March, and so that. How do you think they felt uh, on on this decision that was made by the by the arbitrator? You know, there's a chance of them getting rid of some contract. There's a chance of them getting a younger player in return. There's a chance of them uh, getting or, or trading Weidman to a team. That has a that has the need of a defenseman, and there are a lot of teams that need defensemen out there. So, how do you think they feel 
uh, on top I of mean, that. I mean, it's just, you know, the entire process looked like amateur hour. You're right, it did. Sorry, you know, I, I, you know, I mean, I, I like to be, when I'm critical, I like to be constructive. I'm not critical just for the sake of being critical. It just looked like amateur hour, okay? Either, if you're going to impose a suspension, you know, the, the player's got to play until the final appeal's been determined and put a process in place. Figure out a process that you can determine all of the, the decision in the appeal, like within a week. Figure it out. Yeah, it was I mean, 44 you know, days figure it in out. between. This thing dragged days. on. It dragged on from the last week in January to what, what are we? We're in the middle of March now. It dragged on for that long. You know, I mean, it's, it's preposterous. The NFL. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't make Brady sit. They, they haven't made. They didn't make Brady sit this season because the appeal court hasn't decided on the matter yet, right? Because if you take, if you strip away the guy's right to play, he may never get those games. Once they're gone, they're gone. You can't get them back. Yeah, but he shouldn't right? be playing. He shouldn't be. Well, he shouldn't think, be playing right away though. I mean, if he's got a, uh, something as severe as that, they have to put something in place. I understand they should be quicker, but he shouldn't be playing while he has uh, been given a twenty-game well, suspension. Well, well, then you've got to put a process in place where the NHL deals with it a lot faster and the, and, and the arbitrator deals with it a lot faster. It's just absolutely ludicrous that the arbitrator comes back with a 10-game ruling and the player's already sat out 19 games. Wally, does he have a right to uh, sorry, does he have a right to, to sue the National Hockey League for, for bonuses that he, if they're in his contract, that he won't able to collect uh, by sitting out those extra uh, nine games? Uh, Probably, I would I would suspect not. Uh, my guess is under the under the collective bargaining agreement, the way labor law works, and I'm not a labor law expert, but generally all disputes between the players. Wally, and Wally, have we have to cut you short. We're running out of time. Sebastian's giving me the axe here. <laughs> okay. I'll see you next week. Have a great week, guys. Enjoy the weather down there, Wally, and say hi to Davey for us. Thanks, and see you next week, folks. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.